FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 62 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Minimal, and yep, just me. Sorry, folks. Um, I decided to do a, a special flashback episode, Wolverine Year 5, parentheses, kind of. <laughs> no, uh, I, I wanted to get, I wanted y'all to have something to listen to while I was off doing wedding slash honeymoon stuff, and uh, Denise and I did not have time to record anything. We'll do a mega October episode later, but um, I want to do just a quick flashback of part of Wolverine Year 5. Of course, we've already been in it, doing our kind of episodes about certain story arcs, and we won't end it, because I want to save that. As soon as we get back, Cameron will be back, and we'll do a uh, Wolverine's fifth birthday celebration, and the story that goes around when that happens. But um, I want to do just a quick, kind of four issues. I'm going to do uh, Uncanny X-Men 122 through 124, and annual number three. That's what we're going to do, and yeah, that's it. Okay, so first up is Uncanny X-Men number 122. This is um, co-plotted by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Claremont was the writer. And, you know, he liked the scripting. Uh, Byrne did the breakdowns. Terry Austin not only inked, he actually finished the art. Tom Orzachowski is the letterer. Glennis Wine is the colorist. Or Ween, I think. Yeah, and this is Cry for the Children. This cover is by Dave Cockrum and Terry Austin. It is a pretty good cover. Basically has Colossus and Wolverine in the danger room, which we see is operational. And there's some kind of like hydraulic crusher thing trying to crush Colossus. And he's uh, holding it off. We got a nice bit where his hand is like breaking the steel. Then of course we have an over panicking Cyclops in the control room looking out the window like, Ah! <laughs> it's a pretty nice cover. Colossus's leg looks slightly like off kilter, but the rest of the cover is pretty, pretty nice. So another... Recent good cover by Dave Cockrum. Alright, so basically here's what happens. The X-Men are back from Canada with their little to-do with Alpha Flight. And they're back home and the professor is missing. But, you know, you can't just go around looking looking for the professor. They gotta carry on with life and just assume that he's somewhere doing something. (laughs) So one of the things they're gonna do is test the the power limits of Colossus. But he's struggling because he's been struggling in the field. And they, they have this hydraulic pressing, and Cyclops is using it. But Colossus is uh, struggling way below his normal strength. So Cyclops is testing him, kind of tossing him a, a softball, and, and Colossus is having a hard time. We discover that it's mental. He's homesick and has doubts about being an X-Men. So Wolverine sabotages the computer, and he goes inside the steel press with Colossus, and this motivates Colossus to use his full strength to save Wolverine, but everything breaks. <laughs> uh, the, the hydraulic breaks, the computer broke when Wolverine stabbed it, and so he's stuck on Mr. Fix-It duty. And so the, the X-Men are trying to, like I said, put the school back together with Professor X's absence. Scott and Colleen Wing are hanging out. 
then we kind of have an aside. Professor X with Lilandra, and she's finally being crowned the Shi'ar Empress. Then we jump over to Scotland, where Jean Grey bumps into Jason Wingard, and she's suddenly strangely attracted to him. But he's devious and mentions something called the Hellfire Club. First ever mention of that. But they, anyway, they, they go back to Muir Island to test Jean's Phoenix powers with Moira McTaggart. Wolverine takes Storm into town. She's going to go visit her very first apartment in um, Harlem, where she was raised before her parents took her back to Kenya. But she finds in her apartment that it's a den of heroin junkies. Uh, Wolverine sees Mariko and tries to follow her, but he can't get to her. And she goes into the, um, the Japanese consulate? No, she's a consulate. Um, it's not really an embassy. I don't know what it is. Um, but she goes in there and he can't. We go back to Storm. She fights the junkies. One of them cuts her hand. His name is Boy Bluey. He tries to sneak up on Storm while she's distracted. But Luke Cage and Misty Knight show up. Then we see... Uh, and basically save the day. <laughs> then we see that uh, Colleen gives Scott a key to her apartment. and says, drop by anytime. Why don't you come up and see me sometime? She says. <laughs> then we have a prologue. At the end, I thought those are epilogues. Pretty sure prologues go at the beginning, but we have a very special ending prologue where we see Black Tom and Juggernaut teaming up, or actually, I guess, hiring Miss Locke and Arcade to get rid and snuff out the X-Men. All right, so I actually really like Wolverine's quote-unquote test to motivate Colossus. It's pretty cool. I will say the first page almost... I can flip the cover and the first page, and it's like almost the same thing. In a good way. Yeah, uh, Wolverine's little test. Our only snick of the book is Wolverine stabbing the computer. So that's kind of lame. But the holes in the computer do look cool. On page 5, and also later on page 26, Burton does this thing. I think this is kind of the first time he does this, where he does kind of this design kind of style thing and he puts like these circles around cyclops and he does one later around uh the letter um it looks really cool uh this first one really looks cool basically it's cyclops handing a toolbox to wolverine in the foreground and the background is all black right behind cyclops we have a big red circle behind his head and then a small yellow circle and then a tiny outline of the circle in orange i don't know it looks really sweet on page 7 with the Professor X and Lilandra, we see that space is spacey, man. Really psychedelic. I did note that there are people in Scotland looking for the hovercraft guy <laughs> that went missing on Muir Island because he tried to find the X-Men that stole his hovercraft. I thought, uh, looking at page 14, I thought the date between Colleen and Cyclops was really awkward. Right? She was kind of mean. Because he's like trying to open up. and like, no, I know I'm... I'm kind of closed off and stuffy. And oh, I just noticed there's <laughs> this place they went. There's a comic book spinner rack. Remember those? Yeah, there's one in there. He says, I know I'm like stuffy. She's like, I'm noticed. And then she says, try smiling now and then you'll feel better. Like, not very flirty. I guess she's a tough love kind of person. Then, of course, on page 19, we get a thing that's indicative of, of Marvel, uh, even back then. And when Storm enters her old apartment, there's graffiti all over the wall, and it's all like Marvel names. Like um, Mark Gruenwald, Mary Jo Duffy, or two that jump out. But there's a, 
There's a bunch of Marvel names tattooed on the wall. That's kind of a Marvel um, thing that goes on. I will say there's a thing where one one of the guys from the Arctic Monkeys pulls a switchblade on a storm. And we get a snick. Now it's just S-N-I-K without a T. I don't know. I think it's kind of lame that this little switchblade makes the same sound as Wolverine's claws. Almost. I kind of like it. I'm not saying. I know there's going to be other things like in real life if he had claws. There would be other things that sounded like that, but I kind of feel like, I guess this was, was but it, it really wasn't. I mean, by that time, Snicked was already established as like Wolverine sound. I kind of feel like as far as the Marvel Universe goes, it should kind of only be Wolverine sound, or, you know, maybe somebody copying Wolverine, like, yeah, Switchblade making a Snick, I'm not really down with, kind of lame. Then on the last page, we get a full-page splash of Arcade. Throwing some playing cards with the X-Men's faces on them. And I really like John Burns Arcade. It's really cool. I also like Wolverine chasing Mariko. So that part was cool. I thought the part with Storm was okay. Uh, it's a little preachy in a 70s way. Like they talk about how kids have been abandoned by the system. And that's why they've all turned to drugs. And of course we have our nice, really diverse gang that you get in comic books where... You know, everybody's different, you know, as opposed to like real life gangs where it's kind of all the same thing. <laughs> well, that's a, that's an oversimplification, but I know growing up, like you had like the black gangs and the Asian gangs and all that stuff. And I don't know, probably in adult world, no one more in, in, intermingled than they were in, in uh, high school. <laughs> but, but I don't know, in prison movies, they're kind of segregated too. So I don't know. Anyway, in comic books, you always get the really like, everybody's in a gang together and they're usually a little bit punky. <laughs> Just like movies. <laughs> yeah, but that part was okay. A lot of it felt like a commercial. You know, oh, hey, don't forget, Luke Cage, he's got a book going on. Let's pop him in X-Men real fast. And, of course, Claremont was writing some of that. But, uh, Scott and Colleen, eh, I don't really like it that much. I feel like Scott is inexplicable getting over Jean Grey. Kind of bugs me a little bit. And then him just kind of hooking up with Colleen Wing is... I guess it's natural for him to move on, you know, after her death. Like, that would happen, her quote-unquote death. I don't know. Maybe he needs a tough love, kind of bitchy kind of woman. So maybe maybe it's better than I thought. What do you guys think? I mean, obviously, if you have read up to current, you know kind of where it does or doesn't go. But try to put yourself reading it for the first time, kind of seeing it develop. Do you think it's cool or think it's lame? Kind of on the fence. And then Jean following so quickly for Weingart, I guess she's just as flighty as Scott. Yeah. Anyway, this is the first appearance of Weingard, the first version of that persona. Won't spoil too much for where that goes. So it's kind of a first appearance, kind of not, but it's the first time we see the persona, I'll say, of Jason Weingard. So that's kind of a big deal. It's also the first mention of the Hellfire Club, which is obviously a big deal. We don't see them yet. We don't really know what they are, but even without knowing, like even if I didn't know what they turned out to be, Sounds pretty intimidating. I mean, here's some guy flirting with Jean, and he talks about how, yep, I've got her under my thumb. Soon she'll belong to the Hellfire Club. Like, you know, 70s, that sounds pretty interesting, pretty intimidating. I would definitely, like, want to get the next issue as fast as I could and find out what it is. Of course, you don't <laughs> for a few more issues. But anyway, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. All right, so the story was slow. Not a whole lot of action, but it was pretty good. I liked it. And the art was good. Um, well, you can definitely tell that, that Byrne didn't do 
all the pages, or at least not all of all the pages. Like, like the part where we see that Terry Austin and the credits kind of finish the art, you can kind of tell. And I guess there's a difference because Burn Eat by Austin is still one of the best all-time visual comic book teams, collaborations. And Austin finishing Burns art and then inking it, like when Burn just does kind of the basic layout designs, it's good, but it's not like that stellar, like, Hall of Fame good. So, anyway, um, I'm going to give issue Uncanny X-Men number 122, four out of six claws. All right, let's move on. Okay, so next up we have Uncanny X-Men 123. This is a Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Terry Austin production, aided and abetted by Tom Orr's Leonard, which was that's Tom Orzachowski. Gwyneth Ween is the colorist, so the cover is only by Terry Austin, and it's not that great. Uh, you can see that he's learned a little bit. Like I guess when you ink somebody for a long time, you kind of pick up. I mean, basically, you're going over a lot of the line work, so you kind of can develop some similar line work. So, like, Arcade... I almost said Arcade Fire. <laughs> Arcade's face, kind of burn-esque, but not quite as good. Basically, we have a giant pinball machine, and the X-Men are inside. Colossus is trying to break out, and the rest are fighting pinballs. I gotta say, kind of the cream of this cover is this really awkward banshee dodging a pinball. It looks really stiff. The whole thing was kind of stiff. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not crazy about this cover. We have a little guest starring The Amazing Spider-Man on there. Kind of the classic Spider-Man guest star of the 70s. There's a little circle in his head. And inside the circle, he's surrounded by his spider sense. Kind of Marvel classic there. But yeah, no, not crazy about this cover. Um, Terry Austin's a great inker. And it's kind of weird. We're kind of just in the string of a bunch of really good Cockrum covers. And we break it up with this. Kind of disappointing. All right. So basically, in this issue, we get a Marvel commercial for uh, Spider-Man swings by and sees Scott and Colleen on a date, and he jibber-jabbers about Iron Fist. So we get a kind of a commercial for that. Then basically, it's X-Men date night. Then all the X-Men are collected, or not everybody, X-Men and their dates, collected by Arcade. They're put into a giant pinball machine, which leads them into personalized traps. Cyclops has the Doors of Fate. Colossus has a Cold War guilt trip. Wolverine has a fun house with mirrorized killer androids. Nightcrawler has killer bumper cars. Banshee has a World War II and then End of the Future holograms. Storm has a trap door to water. Basically, Cyclops breaks out to free Wolverine, and he does that by being a pain in the ass and not playing along. <laughs> but before they can really escape, they're attacked by proletarian colossus. Alright, so thought it was pretty good the Spider-Man thing, but really his cameo, like I said, just plugs um, Power Man and Iron Fist. There's really no other reason for him to be there. I mean, he does at one point try to call the X-Mansion and warn them about Arcade, but, eh, whatever. Um, so we see that Scott and Colleen are officially an item. They're actually going out. That happened pretty quick. That was really dumb on page three. Uh, so there's this garbage truck that rolls up, and this little tube comes out and, and sucks up Cyclops and um, Colleen. And it makes a schwang sound, not to be confused with schwing. <laughs> The Spider-Man's kind of swinging, he swings off, and he overhears this sound, and he goes, schwang, or sorry, schwang, 
Where have I heard that? Me arcade! So he recognizes arcade by the sound the garbage truck makes. Because obviously nothing else would ever sound like that in the hustle and bustle of New York City. <laughs> I think we have another Chris Claremont and John Byrne cameo when Spider-Man is swinging through too. They don't say their names this time, but I'm pretty sure that's who it is. Yeah, so basically Peter and Kurt have the dates with um, Amanda and Betsy, which it says it's been a while, but they have their first double date again, which I don't... When were they dating? I know they, like, met them when the Sentinels attacked in Times Square, you know, a while back. I don't remember them. I know uh, they talked about calling them, and then they didn't because Colossus went on the picnic where uh, Vindicator showed up. So, anyway... But they're on a double date, the first one in a while, so they skipped right to dating. And Wolverine has a date with Mariko, and he's full-on 70s urban cowboy. But he says he's definitely in love with her. There's a really good line here, um, what does he say here? He says, the more I see, well, first of all, he says, far flaming out. <laughs> far out, man. He says, the more I, or thinks, the more I see Mariko, the more I want to see her. She's like no woman I've ever known. Cripes. She reaches parts of my skull I never knew existed. And that was a pretty good line. You know, the whole reaches part of my skull I never knew existed. And then after that, he meets a guy. He lights a cigarette for him. And the guy's like, nice night, you know. And he's like, it'll do. <laughs> so then we go to, uh, on page 10, we have Banshee at the X Mansion answering the phone. Or trying to. He gets shot. With the dart. But the detail, the room detail in this is really, really nice. The pencils and then the different thicknesses, I guess, on the inking around certain items looks really, really cool. So, yeah, really, artwork on this one's really, really nice. And just proof that Byrne should do all the drawing and Austin should do all the inking. And that is a match made in comic book heaven. And this is just this page on page 10. You should check it out. It's just one example. Oh, page 11. So Banshee doesn't answer the phone and he gets knocked out. So he's ringing and ringing and Storm gets interrupted from her bath. But, you know, she had to wash all that sweaty heroin junkie stench off of her. <laughs> anyway, she goes to answer the phone and Arcade shoots her in the back. And she kind of bows out and her bathrobe kind of starts to come open a little bit. So we get like super sexy Storm. And John Byrne, uh, he's, he's good at that. <laughs> so anyway, there's that. Um, oh, so then we got a couple of ads I thought were, were really interesting. Uh, we have... You can mail order Star Wars action figures. And these are the old Kenner ones, like the old, the old really cool ones. So that was nice. They were real, first of all, they were really cheap. But um, you can get four for ten ninety nine. That That was even cheaper than the store, I think. Well, no, maybe not. No, I feel like two bucks a piece when I was growing up. That's kind of a ripoff. <laughs> anyway, there's also a commercial for spot-built athletic shoes i guess football cleats and the picture is oj simpson hugging two little kids <laughs> it says we wear spot built just like oj and they got their thumbs up and oj's got his arm around the kids um yeah that's ironic a little bit considering oj's future yeah all right so now on page 14 there's a scene where cyclops wakes up from the dark and those three panels are phenomenal really really awesome um it's hard to really describe basically it's black you see scott's visor but it's interrupted by like a light flare 
Do you see, like, part of the outline of his face, and you still see the red strip of his visor, but the black has gone to halftone? And then it goes yellow, and you see Cyclops, like, pressing up against something, like he's trapped or something. Anyway, it just, it looks phenomenal. Really, really cool. Then, the only thing I didn't like about, kind of, this plan by Arcade is he shoots all these pinballs out into this giant pinball machine, and they all go in a specific hole that has a trap personalized for each X-Men. And there's just... There's no way you can shoot pinballs. I mean, even the pinball wizard, I mean, that deaf, dumb, and blind kid couldn't make all the balls go into the hole that he wanted them to go into. There's no way the arcade could, like, predict exactly that Wolverine's ball will go in the Wolverine hole, and etc. Like, I don't know. Other than that, this concept's kind of cool. And the giant art, the giant pinball table is kind of, kind of, cheesy but in a really fun good way <laughs> um page 16 we get a really awesome panel of arcade in the control room he looks awesomely evil and the room that cyclops lands in looks pretty sweet too his basically when i'm at my doors of fate is that the wall is going to gradually squish him and whenever he opens a door he has to go through it because that opening the door will trigger the wall to completely decompress and crush against the other wall but there's three doors, and he has to choose the right one. Two of them are a trap, one's the way to freedom, Arcade says. Of course, we find out later that none of the doors go anywhere except for a wall, and Cyclops is going to be squashed no matter what. <laughs> anyway, that, that was a cool trap, and it visually looks really cool, too, in the room that he's in. On page 19, we have another shot of Nightcrawler's eyes in the dark. Then he appears to get buzzsawed by one of these killer bumper cars, but I guess we find out later it only nicked him. So, on page 26, we have a really cool Jirac inside the optic blast of Cyclops. I like it when Byrne does that, when he does like sound effects inside the powers. He's done that before with Banshee, and I think with Cyclops before too, but I just want, I pointed it out because I, I enjoy it. On page 30, not quite as bad as Woman in a Fridge, but we have gift-wrapped girlfriends. They're all in giant gift boxes with big bows and their heads poking out. (laughs) Kind of misogynistic, but, you know, whatever. Uh, We also see that Arcade has platform Chuck Taylors. Pretty awesome. I wouldn't mind having a pair of those, you know, back in the 70s. All right, so I would like everybody to play along. You can send in your answers, but... I want to know what everyone's favorite trap was from this issue. Mine was Banshee. Because the way Arcade does it is he knows that Banshee can't use all his powers. Because his throat, he still has a sore throat. Still uh, taking those hauls. <laughs> but, um, so he basically says that Banshee can't, if he can use his sonic scream, like even though everything looks real and it's 3D and he feels like he's inside it, if he can use his scream... If the object really was real, it would bounce back, kind of like sonar. So then the hologram wouldn't work. You think he'd just be like, oh, no, that's not real. That's not real. I'm out of here. But since he doesn't have his scream, he can't, and the trap works really well on him. I just thought it's kind of like comic book convenience planning, but I thought it was really cool the way Arcade set it up. And it looked cool, too. It was a nice nice visual. Uh, my second, my kind of runner-up, honorable mention, was uh, Colossus, just because of the psychology of it. He kind of gets talked, basically, into uh, being employed in the service of Mother Russia and to quit helping these 
damn Americans. <laughs> and to not be a traitor anymore. So he decides, okay, well, then I, I do what Russia wants. What do you want? To destroy the X-Men. Oh. He basically gets uh, kind of mind uh, fudged. <laughs> Got to keep my, my explicit tag off. But yeah, and so I thought that was pretty good, too. Like I said, the story was kind of 70s cheese, but it was really fun. And, you know, kept my interest. And it was pretty fast-paced. And the art was amazing. You're not saying enough. Especially, like, coming after last, last issue again. You know, when Byrne didn't do all the finishes on the art. When he does, and Austin inks it, fantastic. So I'm going to give um, Uncanny X-Men number 123 five out of six claws. It's really nice. Okay, so next up we have Uncanny X-Men number 124. He only laughs when I hurt. Oh, I forgot the title of the last one. It's, listen, stop me if you've heard it, but this one will kill you. That's the title of the 123. Just kind of keep that in mind. (laughs) Since you're already done listening to it. Anyway, this one is He Only Hurts When I Laugh. It is co-plotted by Claremont and Byrne. Claremont's the author, Byrne's the penciler, Terry Austin is the inker, Tom Orzachowski is the letterer, Gwyneth Wine the colorist. The cover is by Cockrum and Austin. It is pretty cool. We basically have Colossus in a Russian communist overalls and a little worker hat. They're in like a shallow pool. We have Banshee and Wolverine knocked out in the water. And Colossus picking up Cyclops and Storm by the throat. And Cyclops pleading with Colossus, We're your friends! We're your friends! Um... It's an alright cover. Nothing too special. But it gets the job done. Alright, so basically, uh, through flashback, we get Arcade's origin. So I, I didn't realize, I guess, this is a very early Arcade appearance. I'd forgotten that he wasn't, like, in the old X-Men stuff. So this is the first time he encounters the X-Men. So we get his, get his origin for all the X-Fans. And basically, he was your typical rich, spoiled... I'm sorry... Typical spoiled rich kid. And then he got cut off from his trust fund, so he killed dad. Daddy dearest went bye-bye. He thought that was kind of fun. He wasn't as bored as he was, just sitting by the pool. And so uh, he decides to be a hitman. And becomes one of the best hitmen in America. But I guess he's too good at it. It gets too easy. He gets bored again. So he decides he's going to open Murder World, the world's first assassination amusement park. And this is fun for a while, but he also starts getting bored with his normal targets and decides he wants to give superheroes a try. He wants to be like the world's foremost superhero assassin. Yeah, so he wants to try his luck at that. He tried uh, to get Captain Britain and accidentally got Captain Britain and Spider-Man. That didn't work out too well, but he enjoyed it. He's enjoying life again, having fun. And Black Tom and Jugging came along and paid for him to get the X-Men. And so that's where we are. So Cyclops and Wolverine fight Kami and Colossus. And they both get tossed through different trap doors. Storm is drowning in her water. Uh, Cyclops, through his trap door, ends up finding Nightcrawler. And Wolverine finds Banshee. And they both help their friends and teammates escape. And Storm uses lightning to escape. Uh, Nightcrawler finds the control room and destroys the computers but gets knocked out from behind. Storm then Floods the X-Men and the whole part of that building. Uh, I guess when she electrocuted the thing to let her out, it opened up all the water and just kind of ran through the halls and and flooded everything. Cyclops gives her CPR, brings her back. 
and then Colossus finds him again and starts attacking. But in the end, love conquers all. Arcane gives in, decides he's beaten again. Maybe he, maybe he's having fun because he's losing. <laughs> but superheroes are not his gig so far. And he wraps him up in a giant metal ball and jettisons the X-Men away. And it lands, or comes up actually, I guess, through the water in his amusement park. They don't know it's his. Then the girls and Nightcrawler are delivered in gift boxes by a parachute with a note from Arcade saying that they won this round until we meet again. Of course, Wolverine is PO'd and wants to go after and hunt Arcade down. But Cyclops says, you know what? He let us go. We're alive. We don't know where he is. We'll just have to live with that. Never mind the big A sign on the amusement park that looks just like the Arcade logo. But whatever. We don't know where he could be. <laughs> Wolverine and Cyclops butt heads again. But of course, Cyclops wins because he's the leader. Alright, so I gotta say, I don't have any specific example because they're all throughout the book, but John Byrne gives Arcade some really maniacal facial expressions, and they're all brilliant. Like, Arcade just, I don't remember him being this exciting, I really don't. Like, I kind of, in my memory, was like, eh, he's kind of a lame character. But at least this first time then he fights the X-Men, he's really fun and, and kind of exciting. I was kind of surprised by this read-through to find that, and that didn't match my memory. But it was cool. I enjoyed it. And of course, besides the faces on page five, we have where Arcade's like in a red halftone and a very ominous blood red with yellow highlights. It looks really cool. Now on page six, we get another mention of Wolverine's unbreakable bones. As Cyclops flies through the air, he's like, this landing's going to hurt and I don't have Wolverine's unbreakable bones. So we get another mention of that. That's cool. So we see Storm falls into the water and rises to the top, but the ceiling's right above her, like the water keeps rising and rising. The last panel on page 7 during that sequence looks awesome. Basically, we have on the, it's a really long horizontal shape to the panel, and the bottom light, just tiny bit of it, is the water. And then Storm's head and hands are above it, pushing on the ceiling. The ceiling's all in black, gray, and white halftone. Kind of really dark and fades up to almost white. There's all that, that halftone dot stuff looks really, really cool. And Storm's facial expression of panic looks amazing. So, yeah, looks really, really nice. When Wolverine gets Banshee out, of course, he can use his senses to tell what's a hologram and where they end and whatever. I didn't realize. I wonder if one of the machines in the room says Alpha. I wonder if that's a reference to Alpha Flight. Was it? Sure. There's nothing particularly Alpha Flighty about it. Anyway, didn't catch that the first time. Just noticed it. Anyway, Wolverine, like I said, uses, uses his senses. He actually goes to the wall and can smell an exit, <laughs> I guess. And so he cuts the wall open and starts peeling it off. And it's cool because the parting peels at the hologram still on the outside of the wall. And then the inside's all like metal and mechanics and stuff. Uh, but it looks really nice. It looks cool. Then on page 15, where Cyclops lets Nightcrawler out. He uses crazy geometry to hit all the cars with one optic blast by bouncing it off the walls like he's shooting pull with his optic blast. That was okay. A little, little more than I'm willing to buy. Because <laughs> there's nothing particularly reflective about these walls, I don't think. I mean, it's a concave shape. The rooms Nightcrawler got trapped in was like a big bowl, they said. And the cars were kind of spinning in and out of it, like up and down. Almost like a... Uh, like, you know, when you see skateboarders in the, in the uh, not evaporated, a dried up swimming pool. Kind of that, kind of that thing. 
the cars are kind of going up and down the walls. Anyway, Cyclops is able to shoot one giant optic blast, and I mean, doesn't his optic blast stop if it blows something up? I mean, he's not bouncing off these cars, it's going through them and exploding them. I don't know. I didn't really like it that much. On page 19, we get yet another really cool Nightcrawler shadow panel where he's climbing through this uh, shaft and we see the back of him in faded color, but color. And he kind of fades into black and then the edges of his front hand and foot are kind of half-toned into gray. It looks really, really cool. A lot of half-tone in, in these last couple issues. I'm digging it. Uh, Wolverine fights a uh, robot Hulk and Magneto. And he talks about how he's been waiting for a chance to get a rematch with the Hulk ever since he botched that mission. Then we get another scene of Nightcrawler Invisible when he's spying on Arcade in the vent. And he, he's like kind of transparent. That also looks really, really cool. Um, then he jumps, teleports down, he's like, boom! And scares Arcade. <laughs> that was pretty funny. And then the last page. Uh, the last panel is pretty cool and the X-Men are walking off out of the amusement park, and they're all in dark red silhouettes. And that was cool. There is a letter. Yeah, a letter with someone wants to know. Let's see, it's uh, Kathy Smith wants to know more about Wolverine's past. He feels like they've been getting some clues, but she's hoping it gets fleshed out fairly soon. (laughs) Good luck with that. And there's several letters about Phoenix and her powers, either how she's too powerful or they were glad that they made her powerful and that she went from being the weakest X-Men to the strongest and kind of the how cool it was to do that to a female character. But then they felt like they've been trying to back off of that a little bit and they don't like that. So everybody's, or not everybody, a lot of people were unhappy with the Phoenix power saying it's either too strong or it should be stronger. <laughs> you know, typical comic fans can't please them all. Yeah, so I thought that story was really, really fun again. That little arcade two-shot really uh, tickled my fancy. (laughs) And the art was also awesome again. So I'm going to also continue my grade. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 124 5 out of 6 claws as well. All right, cool. Let's move on. Okay, so next up we have X-Men Annual Number 3, the 1979 edition. The King Size Annual. The Awesome Attack of Akron. Oh, hi. Oh, no, wait. Archon. <laughs> um, of note, this is the first X-Men annual with an original story. The rest might recap stuff, reprinted, or like rearranged and summarized. So this is the first annual from the X-Men with all new material. And it is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by, I'm sorry, the art is by George Perez and Terry Austin. So of note, uh, we had seen George Perez do a cover of Wolverine um, back back with Magneto. I'm sorry, uh, back in Uncanny X-Men 112, George Perez did the cover. That's technically the first time he ever drew Wolverine. But this is the first time and one of the few times that we get see Perez get to draw Wolverine in action and interior art. So that's kind of exciting. Of course, George Perez, a comic legend. We also have a cover by Frank Miller, which is the first Frank Miller Wolverine, or at least his head. And the cover is not very good. Frank Miller is a legend in his own right, and I actually like his art quite a bit. This is obviously very early before he's kind of found all, all of his style. It's just not that great. It looks really awkward. The proportions are, are weird. Cyclops especially just looks stretchy, and like one leg is... A couple inches and the other one's a couple of feet. (laughs) 
I mean, I'm really bad. All the X-Men are knocked out. When, well, Wolverine, Colossus, and Storm are knocked out. And then Cyclops is shooting his optic blast at the shield of Archon, who looks like a cross between Conan, the Barbarian, and Thor. And there's another little Barbarian guy in the background running with a sword. Just, yeah, it's not a very good cover. I hate to hate our Frank Miller, because I like him, but this he's not, he's not there yet in 79. So, at least not on this one. All right, so chapter one, a fire in the sky, but no smoke on the water. Sorry, guys. Anyway, um, all right, so basically Archon comes from his planet to Earth to look for Thor, but he can't find him, so he can't find one Thunder God, I guess. Gotta go for uh, the runner-up, so he's gonna go find Storm instead. Chapter 2, Rogue in the House, but not that rogue. This is where we find out, kind of why I chose to do this here. I've been, you know, pretty ardent in sticking to the uh, publishing order, but we got a special note that says this issue specifically takes place between Uncanny X-Men 124 and 125, and I thought with the power of the asterisk, I should obey it, and so that's why I'm doing this one in quote-unquote reading order, which is off-debated, but this one we have the note that tells us exactly where it goes, so that's why I'm doing this uh, issue here. Um, all right. So chapter two, like I said, Rogue in the house. The X-Men are training in the danger room. While they're training, Storm breaks it, and it all goes haywire. Basically, now uh, the computer also breaks. Banshee's in the control booth, and I guess, uh, I don't know, somehow it breaks (laughs) from Storm's surge of electricity. So the X-Men have, there's an emergency switch, shut-off switch on the inside. The X-Men have to get there. And they use teamwork to shut it down. And, of course, Cyclops eventually flips it with his optic blast. Storm feels really guilty. Cyclops tries to be a good leader and friend and comforter. Then Archon attacks Storm in her room. Then he fights the X-Men. And he has a quiver of color-coded lightning bolts. Uh, Yeah, alright. He disintegrates Storm. I just made air quotes around disintegrates. Colossus gets super pissed, of course, not lately, but a little while back we had hints that Colossus might have a thing for Storm. So he picks up a giant tree and clobbers Archon with it. Wolverine pins him, but Archon is mum. He's not saying a word as Wolverine tries to interrogate him. But luckily, Cyclops recognizes him. He saw him on TV when he fought the Avengers. And he knows what the lightning bolts do. He saw that on TV too. So he grabs a yellow bolt, which is, he had noticed that Archon was attacking the X-Men with red lightning bolts. And he threw a yellow one at Storm and she disappeared. But Cyclops knew that when he disappeared from Archon's lightning bolts, the Avengers went back to his world. So maybe this does the same thing. So he leaves the red bolts alone, grabs the yellow one, and shoots them all with it and hopes that they go to the right place. Uh, Banshee's going to stay behind in case, you know. <laughs> Basically... I need you to uh, do some stuff. But really, you're a liability if you can't scream. (laughs) Alright, so the third and final chapter is The Land of Shadow, Dawn of Death. Well, Cyclops' trick worked. They get teleported to Archon's homeworld into the Great Hall where Beowulf comes and eats them. No. And they decide they're going to negotiate Archon for Storm. And Archon's like, uh, don't do it. Just attack him. (laughs) So Archon's, he ain't scared. But um, 
The X-Men fight the Warriors. This Vizier guy sneaks off. And Nightcrawler follows him in the shadow. Of course, he's still invisible. Uh, Cyclops caves in the building with an optic blast. And the X-Men escape. Only to find an army of Warriors. Nightcrawler... Uh, succeeds in finding Storm, but overhears that she has agreed to sacrifice herself to save this planet. Nightcrawler surprise attacks her because he knows she'll get scared and, and shoot lightning. Call it her lightning reflex. She does, of course, and Wolverine sees it in the distance. So Colossus and Cyclops get on a flying dragon. Uh, Wolverine grabs the leg like, hey, wait for me, I want to fight. Grabs the dragon leg and they fly off towards the fortress slash temple. Well, they find the Arcane, or not Arcane, Archon has gone through secret tunnels and he beats them there. And we get a flashback story of the planet. Basically, um, the planet had rings of light and it's always daytime. The rings burn out and got nighttime. They originally came to Earth to destroy it and live there, but when the Avengers went back, Tony Stark invented a machine that recharged the light, ring, the light rings and the planet was doing great. But you know what? They went out again and Archon didn't want to destroy Earth. He wanted to find Thor because Thor's lightning charged the battery of the machine that Iron Man built. So he just wanted, instead of fighting everybody and destroying the Earth, he's like, hey, I'm just going to get Thor. Thor can come back, recharge the battery again. I'll send him back home. You know, whenever it runs out, we'll, just, we'll get Thor. But he couldn't find Thor. So we got Storm. And Storm is not as powerful as Thor, I guess. So she's going to give all of her lightning and kill herself in the process to recharge this planet and let the ring stay on forever, in theory. Right, so that's kind of the backstory of this planet, which, by the way, doesn't have a name. At least not in this issue. The Cyclops has a plan. Storm will charge him. Of course, he's, he's, he keeps talking about how he's depleting his optic blast and there's no sun to recharge with. But he has a theory that maybe Storm's lightning will act as kind of a, a kind of sun and recharge his optic blast. Colossus will hold Storm to ground her with his metal form. And Cyclops is betting a hunch that his optic blast as fueled by Storm's lightning, can recharge the battery. And lo and behold, he's right. It works. The X-Men are heroes that are asked to stay and be warriors. But you know what? They need to go home. <laughs> All right. On page two, there's a funny thing with these newspaper guys. That, uh, they kind of talk funny. They say comical books. I like my favorite, though, is they call, they refer to the Fantastic Four as the Fantastical Four. And that was really funny. And then on page 11, we get a very 60s Batman thing where Banshee's trying to put the fire out in the control room. And he has an X-Men fire X extinguisher. The knob on the top is in the, is a circle with an X inside of it, the little X-Men emblem. So I thought that was very like, you know, oh, it's the bat rope. <laughs> oh, it's the X-Men extinguisher. They don't say that. But I do. We have some really nice Wolverine moments as he's cutting the coils and using his adamantium claws to completely obliterate a, a, a robot. Went kind of a reversed fastball special. Uh, Colossus is fighting the robot and he throws it to Wolverine and Wolverine basically cuts it out of the air. It's pretty sweet. There's a part where Cyclops is, is shooting some metal coils and it tells Wolverine to get out of the way. He doesn't want to hurt him. And Wolverine's like, that'll be the day. <laughs> There are some really nice Wolverine moments there. And on page 15, uh, Wolverine's having fun fighting. And he's like, hey, this is my kind of roughhouse boss. 
talking to Cyclops about the, the danger of being out of control. And then when it's over, after Cyclops finally turns it off, he's like, man, I'm miffed. I was just hitting my stride. I don't get much opportunity to cut loose like that. It felt pretty good. We get some, some more nice Wolverine moments, including when they're fighting Archon on page 22 when Wolverine slices through Archon's shield and Archon's like, what? That can't happen. It's impossible. And Wolverine's like, waiting to see what the rest of the X-Men do to you now. But that was cool because apparently the shield is pretty indestructible and Wolverine's able to have his way with it with his claws. So that is kind of re-showing the strength of Adamantium and how sharp his claws are. We get a nice line where um, Cyclops tells Archon, you have to talk. I'm going to turn you over to Wolverine's tender mercies. I thought that was pretty funny. And then there's also a part where uh, Banshee's like, you don't mean it, do you, lad? And Cyclops is like, oh, Wolverine knows I'm bluffing. And Banshee's like, are you sure? <laughs> and Cyclops is like, oh, uh, maybe you're right. Uh, Wolverine, watch it. Don't hurt him yet. We need our information first. Yeah, that's it. They kind of question whether Wolverine's going along with the plan, with the bluff, or whether he's really going to decapitate Archon. <laughs> so apparently uh, Cyclops uh, belongs to the Tea Party. The first thing he says when they get to the other planet is, man, I sure hope everybody speaks English. All right, I'm going to start talking to you. Hope you understand me. English only, please. <laughs> so he's going to run, run for president under the Tea Party next time. We get another awesome shot of Nightcrawler Invisible. Again, Byrne just is really good at that. <laughs> when Wolverine's fighting the Armory of Warriors, he says, the more the merrier. So that's, uh, I'm sorry, the more the merrier boss. That's pretty cool. Storm, we get another hot storm, this time by George Perez, and she's in her otherworld barbarian get-up. Yeah, Perez also draws a nice woman. So there you go. So we also get this thing... Did I miss? Oh, I did miss a thing. So Archon is talking to his leader about the X-Men. And he had said something earlier about he knew they were bluffing because they had their cowardly code of honor. But I guess he saw in Wolverine's eyes how serious he was. And he tells his leader, the X-Men will not kill except Wolverine. And of course, we know that's true because Wolverine killed that guard in the Savage Land. And then that was another uh, nice little insight to Wolverine. So Archon, before he explains his planet story, is like, oh, well, I guess I could have, should have told you this before, but that's not the warrior's way. I had to fight you and bring you here by force. And that was funny. Uh, page 22, we get a reference we haven't had in a while. Uh, though I guess really we did a couple issues ago when Wolverine was forced to repair the danger room. But here Scott refers to him as a tinkerer. And that's from a while back they talk about Wolverine being a tinkerer. You don't see much of that these days, but that was pretty cool. Then page 43, I'm not 100% sure. They may have shown it, and it just wasn't really obvious, and I didn't notice. But I'm pretty sure, and it's in a way that's very, like, dom very dominant on the page. I'm pretty sure this is the first time we find out Wolverine has blue eyes. We see his nice baby blues through his mask as he's yelling at Cyclops. Pretty sure it's the first time that that's noted. They don't say anything about it, but you, it's obvious. You see it in the color. Page 44, they talk about a ring of fire going down, down, down. And a ring of fire, ring of fire. Little Johnny Cash never hurts. Yeah, first one's free. Gotta pay for the rest. <laughs> Then page, the last page, uh, we see the X-Men in a space barbarian garb. Uh, Wolverine has some nice Cochrane-designed boots that go up to the middle of his thigh. In fact, he looks very much like a 70s village person. 
like almost like gay S and M. He's got the really hairy chest. He's buff. He's got the crazy hair. He's got like a he man like chest belt on. <laughs> And some underwear and thigh-high boots. He looks like a diva. He looks fab. Fabulous. Yeah, so again, let's point out that at least in this story, they talk about, Archon says, the planet, my planet, my race, our race of warriors. None of them have a name. <laughs> I don't know what the planet's called or what his race is called. I just thought that was weird. In a time where everybody, like all the demons and aliens, always have names. Is a very kind of blaring omission for a 70s Marvel comic. All right, so the writing was really good. And the art, the team-up of Perez and Austin, gotta say it rivals the Burn austin team-up. The art in this book was really, really, really good. So I didn't really like Archon, but the story was actually really good. I was actually surprised. I saw the cover and kind of flipped through before I started reading it. I was like, oh, great, Space Barbarians. I actually really liked it. The story was compelling. The concept of a planet that's eternally daytime and it's all lit up and it goes out and the Avengers came and fixed it and it went out again and the X-Men came and, and they fixed it their way. I don't know. It was just, it's a really cool story. You can basically make the planet anything. They can be reptiles, uh, aliens, um, you know, winged hawk people. It doesn't really matter. Like, any kind of thing would work. And they went with Space Barbarian. Of course, we're in the heyday of Conan the Barbarian stuff, so can't blame them. I'm sure this cover and a quick flip through with 79 sold quite a few copies, so can't fault them for that. I actually ended up liking the story quite a bit. I was really surprised. And for all the talk that Claremont does about teamwork in the book, the X-Men actually show really good teamwork that actually mostly makes sense. Uh, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, but for the most part, I, yeah, I mean, everybody has an actual role in the plan. Even Wolverine and Nightcrawler, who aren't specifically uh, doing anything, what does it say? I have to write that down. Oh, because they, they, Wolverine's a tinkerer. So him and Nightcrawler are fixing the machine to get it ready for um, Cyclops' optic blast to charge it back up. But it's broken, so they have to fix it first. So yeah, everybody had a part. No, that was really cool. I liked it. And Storm, particularly where she is at this point in the story, her kind of offering herself as kind of the uh, the sacrificial hero for this planet really fit her character. It was, it was a nice touch. She was in the right place where she felt really guilty about losing control of her power. She's had, had doubts about being an X-Men, whether it really made a difference, you know, because when she was in Kenya, she used her power for the good of mankind. And now she feels like she's just fighting all the time. This is a chance kind of at redemption to really matter, to use her powers the way she wants. And if that's how she goes out, then that's how she wants to go out. <laughs> so I thought that, that was cool. And Wolverine's great in this comic. Man, uh, we all know Claremont knows how to write Wolverine. But this is just a really good example. If you want to kind of see like a capsule of Wolverine in the late 70s, this is a great book to read to see that. So, um, yeah, other Archon takes away from the story a little bit just because he could have been a little cooler. I don't know. It's always it's weird that the lightning bolts were colored. and 
I'm, I'm split on that one. Part of me thinks that's really cool, and part of me thinks it's really dumb. So I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to give X-Men King Size Annual number three a really hearty five out of six claws. I would definitely, if the cheese factor of this book has is, is kind of scared you away from it in the past, give it a chance. I think you'll be surprised at how good, how interesting, how fun it is. So I'm going to give it five out of six claws. Uh, let's summarize and get out of here, shall we? All right, so that was Wolverine Year 5. Kind of. <laughs> so we get a part. What? All right. All right. So what? What did we learn about Wolverine in this episode? Oh well, he has a part where he talks about he's been breaking rules since he was born, so he's kind of always been a badass. He's falling more in love with Monica. That's pretty cool. And you know what? I'm gonna say I like him being in love with Mariko a lot more than I like him being in love with Gene. At least what we've read so far. I'm pulling for that. We know Gene's alive. They all think Gene's still dead. And obviously eventually she's gonna cross paths with the X-Men again. And I'm I'm hoping that when Wolverine sees her, he'll be like, Yeah, what was I thinking? And be in love with Mariko. Alright, so future present day spoiler if you don't want to hear it uh, skip ahead a little bit now that we've read origin and we know about rose which i like rose and she kind of looks like gene it's in that part of it since that happened i like wolverine being in love with gene until that story came out i never really liked wolverine wanting to be with gene i always thought mariko silver fox much better options and fit wolverine a lot better as far as what he would want in a partner and a mate anyway all right so in future spoilers anyway i really enjoyed the progression of wolverine and mariko's relationship i thought it was really cool that he mentioned he was still mad at the hulk <laughs> that was nice we do even though it's not that great and it's only wolverine's head we did get the first frank miller wolverine so that's has historical significance uh we find out that not only does he kill, as we've seen once in the past so far and, and talked about several times, but he's the only X-Men that kills. And interesting that, I mean, of course, Archon says it, so the X-Men haven't kind of admitted it yet. And I guess only Storm and Nightcrawler have seen him kill anybody so far. But I'm hoping we kind of get some conflict of, like, the X-Men are like, oh, whoa, whoa, the X- we, we all don't kill, so you can't either. And kind of what, how that conversation goes. Again, we got the blue eyes, and uh, we got more emphasis on Wolverine as a tinker. Uh, he fixed the danger room in 122 and the machine in annual number three. So lots of good stuff. I really didn't think there'd be necessarily that much Wolverine information in, in this these issues, but we got, we got a lot of good stuff. All right, so again, just wanted to get this out before the wedding so you can all enjoy it while I am enjoying Jamaica. <laughs> and then when we get back, we'll do the, the big episode with Denise for October books. And then we'll do a special uh, celebration of Wolverine's actual fifth birthday. Uh, me and Cameron will do that one. And it should be a lot of fun. So that's kind of what's up next. Uh, please leave an iTunes review. If you want show notes, go to the website at snickcast.podbean. Dot com. Please like the Facebook page. You can search for the podcast that goes snicked in Facebook. Or you can go directly to facebook.com slash podcast fan page. Of course, follow us on Twitter at snickcast and um, email snickcastandyahoo.com. I'd love to know what y'all think about some of the stuff that happened in this, these uh, issues. I won't lie. I kind of did this like, oh, camera won't miss anything. He's a kind of kind of a downturn in the 
in this little era, not the best issues. And based on the covers, I didn't think they would be, but I had a lot of fun with them. So hopefully you did too if you're reading along. But yeah, alright, so until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye.